Hello, and welcome to The Money Movement. I'm joined here today by Byron Gilliam, who is a market strategist and newsletter writer for BlockWorks. And I find one of the most prolific newsletter writers out there. Byron, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you on here. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Thanks. That's amazing to be on. I might subscribe. I listen to all your podcasts. And it's amazing to be on. Well, you didn't, you didn't play the intro music for me, so I'm not totally convinced that it's real. <laughs> it's great because there's so many ideas that fly around in, in the kind of crypto land. I likewise, like there are writers and there are podcasters and others, and there's just such a plethora of information. And as I like to say, like, I've been in this for nine years. I'm pretty far down the rabbit hole, but I actually feel like I only understand like 1% of it. And so, which is, I think, a good sign, hopefully not a reflection of me, but more a reflection of just how much of a surface area there is in all this. And, you know, on that note, actually, again, just kind of a little bit more of, of an introduction for you and for, for the audience. If you don't subscribe to Byron's newsletter on BlockWorks, highly recommend it. A lot of people refer to it as the Matt Levine of crypto, or you as the Matt Levine of crypto. Although these days, Matt Levine is sort of writing a lot of crypto too. So I don't know kind of where that stands. Yeah, Matt Levine is definitely the Matt Levine of crypto. And the only person who calls me the Matt Levine, Levine of crypto is myself, just to be clear. I've seen that, but I think there's credence in that. So anyway, really have enjoyed your writing and your journey uh, into this space. And, and maybe that's a great place to start. I'd love to maybe have you share a little bit of your journey into crypto land. And um, obviously, in, in the newsletter, you, you touch a lot on, you know, lots of episodes from your past and relate those to, to the here and now to just provide the kind of TradFi to DeFi context or whatever you want to call it. But just uh, maybe t- take a couple of minutes and talk about kind of how you got here. Sure. Yeah. Well, I was a an equities trader for about 25 years. Most of that was with a couple of large investment banks. Being an equities trader, an investment bank is like making prices to hedge funds and, and taking some prop positions and executing some orders. That doesn't really make me a banker. Even though I worked for an investment bank, it just makes me a trader. But crypto people don't know that. My crypto native colleagues just assume that I know everything about TradFi because I've worked in TradFi and I've not so far disabused them of that notion. So yeah, so I was a trader for a long time. I kind of was aging out of being a trader and also trading is not as fun as it used to be. You know, when I, when I started, it was, uh, you know, you just had to be faster than the next guy. And then by the end of it, you had to be faster than some computer, which is impossible. So equities trading was less fun than it used to be. And I was getting too old for it. So I was poking around for looking, looking for something new to do. I got connected with BlockWorks, who was looking for somebody to uh, write their newsletter. And specifically, they were looking for somebody who they thought could translate crypto for uh, traditional finance people. And they thought maybe I could do that. Then I knew a little bit about crypto. Like I knew Bitcoin, I knew ETH. Uh, I'd gone down the Bitcoin rabbit hole in about 2015-ish. So I was semi-early to it. I unfortunately decided that it was not a good risk reward. Um, Although I did buy one. I bought one Bitcoin at like $2,000. And then I sold it like a year later. I bought it just because I thought, well, you know, there's a hard cap, 21 million. And then 
it forked off into Bitcoin Cash. I thought, okay, well, now there's 42 million of them. So I, that kind of ruined that thesis for me. And then I did the same thing, same exact thing with Ethereum. I, I, I bought some ETH, I, I can't remember how many. And then like six six months later, the Crypto Kitties thing happened and it just like completely halted the Ethereum blockchain. I thought, well, if this thing can't even process pictures of cats, then what good is it? So I sold those also, unfortunately. I think that was even an even bigger mistake than, than selling ETH. But that was the extent of my my crypto uh, experience prior to, to Blockworks, although I was I was interested in it. And yeah, so I've just been I've just been going down the the rabbit hole ever since. Yeah, awesome. Well, I think as you write often, there's a lot of entertainment um, in in all this, but there are a lot of really interesting and, and, and sort of choice nuggets. Maybe we can pull on pull on a few areas. You know, as you got to spend more time and looking at at things, I find in your commentary often you're kind of like trying to reason about things and and relate them. You know, I'm curious, just stepping back, having been at it for now, I don't know how long. Is it just, been it's almost exactly a year. Yeah, it feels like about a year, right? From where you were then until where you are now, what are some of the biggest things that you've taken away or things that basically you feel like you have stronger belief and conviction about than maybe you did when you started writing? Oh uh, yeah, that's an interesting way to, to frame it. I'm not sure that I have stronger conviction. I probably have less conviction. I think you know, they, they, you know, there's that meme with the uh, you know the mid the midwit meme on on Twitter, and I'm, I'm you know I think I'm on I think I'm right at the top of that bell curve. I'm I'm like securely in in midwit territory now. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, it's crypto is a lot different than I was expecting it to be. You know, I was kind of I was came into it thinking that all of these new protocols and stuff were basically tech companies, you know, it's software. So I figured they were, they were like software companies and that, you know, tokens are stocks and protocols are companies, but they are not at all. You know, I, I learned pretty quickly that, you know, there's the, the protocols are not companies, tokens are not stocks, but then everybody just talks about them that way. Everyone, if I say that to people, like to crypto people, they're like, yeah, they're not. But then they just proceed to talk about them as if, you know, they have P ratios and uh, and as, as if they're, you know, investments that are going to just naturally appreciate over time, like an equity would do. And, and that's just not what they are. And actually, recently, I've been surprised that it's actually become more like that when I started. Uh, you know, when, when I started a year ago, you know, Uniswap, was that you know the airdrop was relatively recent and you know, Uniswap was very very careful on with their airdrop to make clear to everybody that they were not a security they were not going to earn revenues and they were not going to pay them out to token holders it was very clear that a you know, lawyer had had uh, written the copy on their website sushi was taking revenues but even sushi swap they were really careful to say that we are paying them out to stakers. We're not paying revenues to uh, token holders because that would be like paying a dividend. You know, we're paying our revenues as a fee to token holders, as a fee to stakers for the service of staking, even though staking was not any kind of a service. So, you know, there were people were trying to comply. And even if you go further, you know, way back, if you go back to the DAO, I'm, I'm reading Cryptopians at the moment, which is great. Yeah. You, you know, the, the DAO was super careful to structure in a way that that would, uh, you know, avoid uh, being labeled a security, even though it didn't help. SEC still said they were security. But anyway, now a year later, it seems like crypto has completely given up on that. You know, the, the trend now is everyone is talking about, you know, all the protocols are talking about the 
revenue they're going to generate and how they're going to return it to token holders and how the token right. tokenomics are going to make the price right. of the token go up. Uh, right. which is in, in a world where, where yield kind of, uh, you know, subsidized, uh, you know, yield incentives with tokens uh, and quote unquote yield farming and what was DeFi 2.0 and so on, like where that that's kind of, no pun intended, run out of gas. I agree with you. Like there's sort of been this, this pivot to looking at the quote unquote, the real economics of real utility, real economics, which it, in some respects, that's good, right? You want, you want, oh. you, you, that's really what you want. I mean, I, I don't think I certainly was somewhat confounded by the, uh, the amount of, you know, food products, <laughs> you know, whatever you want to call it. Everyone talked about all the, all the, you know, the kind of phenomenon of, of farming and, you know, the kind of Ponzinomics and it, it just it was kind of maddening when when you really looked at it, but it was it was such a such a big phenomenon. But getting kind of back to basics in a sense, but in so doing, I mean, coming back to to what you were just saying, like if you get back to basics and say, you know, here's a protocol, here's its function, here's its utility, here's its economics, etc. You know, how does one think about disclosure, market conduct, you know, risks of fraud, all the things that say a securities regulator um, might care about. And, you know, I just came from DC for the past several days and, uh, you know, meeting with a lot of, a lot of different people. Yeah. I I think the big, the big discussion is, is this sufficiently different that it needs a different set of, of, of rules or should you just try and say, you know, it's a security and therefore it has to be subject to, uh, you know, registration statements and SEC uh, form XYZ review, and it only can be custodied by this kind of person and this kind of firm, and you need to have a transfer agent, and it needs to go through a dealer, and the dealers can only do this, and you have to have these registered exchanges that are national. I mean, the superstructure, the market structure and superstructure that exists there, like, does it even make sense to try and attempt to map that to what these protocols are? I'd be interested in your take on that. If you if you tried to reason about that at any level, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the the Howey test stems from case law that is from 1946, I think, and you know was about orange groves and whether orange groves are or you know the management of orange groves were securities. So it's just you know it's very dated and it's very not applicable to to crypto and. You know, a decentralized exchange is very different than a centralized exchange. It doesn't seem like those two things should be regulated with the same rules. I do think that cryptos should have a different set of rules. But on the other hand, like I was saying, cryptos are acting so much like equities that maybe they shouldn't. So, you know, I definitely, I definitely do not blame the SEC for thinking that basically everything is a security because basically everything is acting like a security. Yeah. I had uh, a chance to to guest lecture with uh, Gary Gensler when he was uh, teaching at M- MIT and do, doing a class there, and uh, and while he was there, I also had a chance to have him come and and do a company all hands at Circle and and do a fireside chat on some of these topics, not knowing, of course, that he was going to become the chair Gensler. But um, one of the discussions that we actually had back then, and 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 I actually I have some blog posts about it, which I'll try and dig up and share in the show notes, but you know, was my own belief just, this was back in 2018. Okay. So this is a while ago. How long ago is that? That's four years ago. Okay. And, you know, there was sort of this phenomenon where you, you could have a token that simultaneously had 
features that would really make it seem like a security, features that would make it seem like a commodity, and features that would make it seem like a currency. And it could be all three. It's kind of like the Heisenberg principle. I don't know if that's the right the right thing. It sort of depends on how you look at it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But and and clearly, there's this kind of you know, context for a token, and then there's a kind of an evolution over time and context and both. And what I was sort of arguing then, which I still feel pretty strongly about today, is like this is like a new reality. Like we can't put the genie back in the bottle. This is actually an innovation. This is not some just some way to like skirt around laws. It's like this is a, a new innovation. And and as you may know, my background is as a internet technologist, as an internet software technologist, and I've been you know digging around internet protocols since 1990. And I look at these things. You know, I look at protocols and I look at that world. And a lot of this is open specifications, open source software protocols, but there's there's economic mechanisms tied to them and there's governance around them. And so it is this, this kind of new, new form. And so I guess the question, what I've sort of said is what you really need is you need some new definitions. Like the law needs new definitions. Like this is a moment in time when, you know, it's like, uh, Autonomous cars didn't exist. You need some new definitions. There's now a thing. It's an autonomous car. You can't, you know, give it a driver's license, right? You know, whatever the the kind of concept is. So I, I really feel like there's there's got to be new definitions, and and then one can sort of have a discussion about well, as a tradfi investor, what might be important to me, whether I'm Joe retail or or Jane institutional, like what might be important to me. And that, you know, what would go on a token's registration statement and what would its ongoing disclosures need to be? And if there's an assurance industry around it, what's the assurance industry that's necessary for it? So those have been some of the thoughts. And I feel like in your writing, you've kind of picked apart some of those issues in a lot of, with a lot of different examples. I don't know if there's any thoughts that might kind of come from, from that line of reasoning. Yeah, no, I think that your last point, I think, is an underappreciated one. I, uh, you know, everybody asks, like, is this token a security? I sort of think that's not actually the right question to ask. The issue is really that everyone is treating them as securities. You know, people, there's an expectation uh, that they are going to buy them as an investment and and make a profit. And that then the SEC's remit is to protect investors and people think that they are investing in crypto. So therefore the SEC should protect them. And I think you could also make an argument that these are not securities in the sense that if you buy one, you do not have a claim on any assets. You do not have a claim on, on future cash flows. You might have a vote, but if you do have a vote, it's very likely non-binding, right? It's the, the votes in crypto are kind of like signaling to the multi-sig. Yeah. They're like, uh, yeah. Yeah, like, this is, yeah, 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 exactly. Like, this is what I would like you to do, but you don't have to. You know, there's so I like there's a lot of reasons wh- why these are not securities, but I think because we all treat them like they are, well, you know, we treat them as if they were equities investments. So, therefore, the SEC is also going to treat them like they're equity investments. Yeah, but if you if you can imagine, and there are governments doing this, right, who who are sort of saying, well, you know. If you want to sell a token for a protocol, like in our country, you know, you got to you got to have like uh, the equivalent of like a token registration statement. You got to talk about the project and the founders and is there a security audit on the code and, you know, various things. One can imagine 
some form of uh, of kind of registration and disclosure that would be relevant to people, right? That's there. And uh, for Jane or John Q. Public to kind of be able to read these and know that, you know, someone's job is to kind of check these. Um, yeah, I kind of wonder that. Unreasonable, right? Yeah, I, I guess I have a couple of issues with that. Like one, the one is that, you know, these things are non-geographic. So if you're a Uniswap, are you going to register as a security in every country in the world? Right? Yeah. Because <laughs> well, yeah. you can't let, you know, in the U.S., right. you can only buy Apple with a U.S. broker, right? Or, you know, if you have a yeah. U.S. Medicare or something. So that's great. I love that point. It's fascinating. And I think one of the things that draws a lot of people to this space is the inherent kind of internet scale of it all, right? Like by definition, it, as, as software on the internet, it kind of exists everywhere the internet exists. And that's what, you know, there, there hasn't been a set of economic primitives that sort of exist everywhere the internet exists. <laughs> like now there are. And so that that is super powerful. And I think, you know, there is, ironically, even though there's so much of a, a kind of decentralization you know, is such a core philosophy uh, of crypto and so on. It's also a highly, highly globalistic in a sense, uh, even though it's this very decentralized thing. I think there is almost like um, it's like the solidarity movement. I don't know what you call it, but like there's something highly globalistic about it. And everyone feels like, hey, we're building something that is truly planet you know, for the planet. It's sort of, you know, why why do we have to have, you know, all these national boundaries and national laws? Like this just works. And this is a, is a, is a way to make things work. I'm, I'm interested at a deeper level to kind of hear your thoughts on, is it viable to kind of do some like bottom up building of economic structures? You know, because that's what some of these things are, a DAO, a protocol. And what are the implications of that? Economic structures in in what sense? Well, organizational economic structures, governance structures, uh, right, right, right. coordination uh, of working capital. You know, yeah, I, I'm totally confident that, that there is, but I don't know what those are going to look like as of yet. Like, I think there there is some neat experimentation going on in the DAO uh, governance world, but that's sort of kind of a niche activity. I feel like mostly DAOs so far have just been used as a regulatory arbitrage and to have kind of hidden hidden hierarchies and hi- hidden power structures. But there's a phrase, uh, the tyranny of, of structurelessness. So right. I mean, you have when you have absolutely no structure, there is going to be a power hierarchy there. It's just going to be invisible to the normal observer, which in right. a lot of ways is, is worse than having a right. formal structure. Right. And DAOs, like DAOs, I think at the moment, the way they're generally being used, they're, it's kind of like, you know, holy Roman emperors were neither holy nor, nor Roman. DAOs are neither decentralized uh, nor autonomous, and they're not even very organized. So, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of fascinating things that that happen in DAOs, but if we just try to make them a new version of LLCs, then I think we're not going to get very get very far. I think they need to be new and totally different things. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. There have been a lot of lessons over uh, the centuries about uh, how to create a corporation whether nonprofit or for-profit, and how to have 
governance and bylaws and, uh, you know, checks and balances. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a huge body of work that, that exists there. And there's a huge body of work in, in terms of, you know, delegation and, and decision-making and, and all this, you know, and, and, and so, you know, at many levels, like, yeah, the, the kind of the flat DAO with uh, a whole bunch of token holders uh, and then a treasury uh, that that's hanging out, you know, in a gnosis safe or, or whatever, like it feels kind of radical and empowering at one level, right? Like, oh my God, like we can do this. We can just like have a bunch of people connected with our wallets and we're like, we're making decisions and we're moving funds and we're like, stuff's getting done and there's, there's, there's worker bees and there's, you know, th- like there's like a, there's this thing and, you know, <laughs> and no one signed any contracts, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, I think also part of the exhilaration and it'd be interesting to, to sort of see what the, um, I don't know if it's a standard deviation or a bell curve or what, but it'd be interesting to look at, at kind of demographics overlaid on DAOs. And uh, I, like, I know a lot of really young people who are like, I'm in seven DAOs. I'm like, wow. And I'm earning and I'm making a living. I'm like, why would I ever go work for a company? Because I'm like, I have, I have all these DAO tokens and I'm doing this. And they may not be doing that right now because the 99% drawdown or whatever it was. But like, there's a way in which uh, that quote unquote economic freedom, which is a mantra for a lot of people in crypto, like that's a real thing. But I, I think many of your observations about what it, what it is in practice uh, are really accurate. I think um, I'd be interested in, you know, whether you, whether you believe that can there be really, you know, significant iteration on that and can one imagine like more sophisticated forms of uh, on-chain governance and on-chain, you know, treasury management and, and putting more of that substance in to, to do things. I am confident that there will be, but I, I, I don't know what it's going to look like, you know, at the moment, I feel like the real use case for a DAO right now is when you have a protocol that is, you know, finished software and it runs on its own. And the if you want to change it, you can write some code and let everybody in the DAO vote on it. And if it's voted in, then the code is automatically implemented. Right? That that is like the very base case uh, use for a DAO, and that that makes sense to me. But in terms of like trying to build a business, like uh, like a lot of protocols say that they are trying to do, I don't see how that's going to work with the DAO. I just you know, there's a fine line between freedom and chaos, and I think I think it seems to me like from the outside, I've never worked in DAO, uh, but from the outside looking in, it seems like uh, DAOs are very much on the the chaos side of that line. It's, you know, just I, I read a lot about uh, you know all the stuff happening with Maker, mm-hmm. and I just I just can't understand like how that how that's supposed to function. You know, they don't, they don't even have a budget process, right? Like anybody can mm-hmm. you know, anybody can propose an expenditure at any time. So it's just like a constant rolling budget process, right? And I imagine I would I would think that it would be incredibly frustrating to work there. I can't really imagine what that would be like. And especially for something like Maker where you're trying to, you know, have one foot in in the real world with with real world assets uh and you are having to deal with uh contracts and lawyers and things like that it just seems like a DAO is a is just not fit for purpose yeah it's definitely a layer of complexity of a significant layer of complexity but it's interesting I, i'm very interested in in how one might be able to build more durable institutional structures 
around on-chain, you know, on-chain execution and on-chain kind of models. You know, I think there's, uh, you know, various ideas that get tossed around, around, uh, you know, implementing common law concepts and smart contracts and building uh, tiered token models that more resemble classes of, of, of voting and preferred stock and, you know, all, all these kinds of things coming back to the, are these, are these securities uh, discussion, but, but nonetheless, like using this to kind of mirror, maybe the wrong word, because I don't think the goal is to literally mirror exactly what a Delaware corporation is or, or what have you, but, but at least be able to kind of bridge to, you know, that, that world. Anyway, it's an interesting, it's definitely in a really interesting area. I'm just sort of interested, you know, as you look at the the market side of this and the the markets uh, side of this, behaviorally, there's a lot of interesting behavior in this market. Do you feel like this is kind of the same behavior that you see in the equity markets, or is there is there something is there some other? I hate to use the word alpha, but but is there some other essence to this market and how it behaves? Given it's it's like it's got this global retail participation, it's got memes, it it has uh, there's just a lot of other kind of things in it that you don't kind of get if you're say trading the you know Nasdaq or Russell 2000 or whatever you're trading. Um, yeah, it's definitely different, and it's more different than I expected it to be. Um, like I said in the beginning, I kind of came into it thinking that these things were going to be like higher beta tech stocks because they were software so it kind of seems logical but that's that that's not how they act at all uh they're less trending than equities which kind of surprised me they're more more mean reverting and less trending which in hindsight makes sense because you know they're constantly issuing tokens for one thing but they just do yeah they, they act differently than than equities i'm consistently surprised at how expensive cryptos are you know, expensive is subjective in, in the crypto world, but you're talking about like fully diluted market cap type of measures yeah, of some of yeah. these things. I kind of came into it like thinking like, wow, there's this whole universe of things that nobody's paying attention to. So surely they're going to be really cheap, but they're not at all. Yeah, you know, which is still confusing to me because the the pool of buyers of any given crypto to me seems very small. Like how many people actually know how to use MetaMask or whatever? It's that's not that many, right? But some and 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 the other side of the the coin is this unlimited supply. You know, every protocol is constantly issuing new coins and somehow finding buyers for them, which is just surprising to me, uh, especially after the the crypto winter. Like the way the way market caps have held up in the crypto winter has really yeah. surprised me. And you get something like you get something like Bitcoin ETH Classic still has like a four or five billion dollar market cap and it doesn't really do anything. So that's right. confusing so, to me. Like, it, like it, it's confusing that? to me too. Like it really is. I've come to accept it <laughs> in some ways, but like it's it's really confusing. And and one has to wonder like, will the music stop? <laughs> like, w w will the music stop? And I guess, like, right. the music could stop in a potentially, say, a deep recession where everyone's trying to, like, scrape every penny out of their pocketbook, right? So, like, that is one way that the music could stop, right? Which is just a the level of risk off is literally, like, I got to liquidate every freaking token I have to the last drop. That could be one way. But the the kind of, like, sustained belief, which in in a sense, right, for many of these is kind of meme based 
because it's not usage based uh necess- you know it's just it's just it's sort of like the usage is the the willingness to trade in many cases does the music stop yeah i think probably the best analogy to tradfi is you know gamestop and and amc and you know i was totally shocked that that gamestop kept that market cap, you know most of the market cap that it got in those the the wild ride up uh, like I kind of understood the, the, you know, that it could just, you know, go crazy. Anything can go crazy on the upside for a little while, but I was totally shocked at how, you know, how much of that move it retained the same with AMC. And I guess maybe that's what's happening in, in crypto also. Maybe there's just, you know, some mean value that's, that's not to be uh, underestimated. Yeah. It's uh, interesting to watch. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, is there anything in the space right now, like uh an area where there's kind of projects or technology or or an area of the market that has kind of captured your attention, your intrigued by that you think we should all be paying closer attention to? I don't think I have anything, any surprising things there. I personally am always interested in stable coins because, you know, I still think that payments are are the best use case for cryptos, even though, you know, that was in, I think, the very first sentence of Satoshi's yeah. white paper. And it hasn't been totally fully realized yet, but I, I feel like we're getting close to that. Like maybe we're working with, on it. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe with L2s and maybe everyone's going to have a wallet where it costs a fraction of a cent to move your USDC around. Yes. Uh, and that could be, that could be a real game changer. I feel like, you know, when people are critical of crypto and they say like, you know, how did it, how is it worth $3 trillion at the top? How is it worth a trillion dollars now? I feel like payments alone could justify a trillion dollar market cap. No yeah. problem. I also enjoy stable coins just because it you know raises lots of questions about, you know, what is the nature of money and what is the nature of banking? And I think it's getting really interesting now with, uh, with these app issued, uh, stable coins, like, you know, yeah. obvious go and, and stuff like that. So I'm always interested in stable coins. I am, uh, interested to see what uh, happens after the merge with, uh, you know, the ETH staking yield, whether that becomes some kind of risk free rate for crypto. I don't yeah. think it's actually a risk free rate, but people might treat it like that. And, you know, yeah. people might start building, uh, neat financial structures on, on top of that mm-hmm. i'm uh, interested to see what happens with real world assets i don't really understand how we're going to get real world assets on on chain to me it just feels like if uh you can put the deed of a house on a blockchain but you know to evict somebody you still have to call the police so the you know the the blockchain is just kind of improved bookkeeping but i'm hopeful that uh that you know real world assets will, will come will become a bigger thing and i'm also just really interested to see if uh if protocols can start developing some kind of moat that looks like what you would get in traditional finance like you know uni has uh uni swap has, has staved off sushi swap pretty well and and mm-hmm. uh lido it seems like might have a some kind of moat in in staking so I'm, I'm very interested to see how that, that develops as well those are great observations well good stuff appreciate you having you on and and having the conversation and, and likewise kind of hope hope to have you back and keep doing what you're doing because i think it's uh it's great for everyone that's great. amazing to hear no, I think your, your insights are really, really strong and I think benefit the community a lot. So, you know, thanks for that too. 
I the right back to you and you got you guys do you guys do amazing work. I think uh, you know, Circle and, and USDC is is you know realizing that original vision of of payments and it's it's really fun to see what you guys um come up with. Lots to do. Cool. Thanks for coming on, Byron. All right, thanks, Jeremy. Bye.